Ready? Born ready. Podcast. I am your host, Sada Long. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. We're going to jump right into today's show. It's Tuesday if you're tuning in on launch day. If not, hope you're having a great day, whichever day of the week it is. All right, first thing we've got up for you. Last week, Mayor Andre Dickens gave his first State of the City speech. Now, this is something... Every mayor does once a year around March, April timeframe, they give a speech that basically says, hey, here's what's going on in the city. They'll lay out uh, what their agenda is for that year. So his transition team is wrapping up as he hits the 100 day mark in office. Hard to believe. A few things the mayor announced, $5 million from the city to invest in early childhood education. He's also asking for the Atlanta Public Schools and the local foundation community to pitch in money as well with a goal of raising $20 million. This is a big deal because you know it, I know it. Once you get a child on the right track from zero to four, the rest of it is a lot easier and it's easier on the family. It's easier on the school system. It's easier on society. Another thing, he announced the mayor's internship program um, this summer. He said that he's going to put 3,000 Atlanta teens to work. That's really an effort to make sure that teens have something to do, uh, that they're not just roaming the streets, being bored, and you know, starting to do stuff that they should, probably shouldn't be doing. Another thing is an affordable housing strike force. Never heard of this before. Uh, but basically the idea is to bring all the agencies together and kind of aggressively tackle housing affordability. They haven't put out much detail on it, so to be determined what that actually is and what the goal is. Uh, another thing, pothole posse. Now, if you all remember Mayor Shirley Franklin's administration, I think I was like a teenager then, but... Uh, and I didn't even live in Atlanta, but she uh, did something called the Pothole Posse where they they filled potholes. And I don't know how many times I have gone down the street in Atlanta and try to avoid a pothole or you go over the metal grate or if you're biking, you got to make sure that you avoid the pothole. So their goal is 30 potholes per day. I hope that whoever's filling the potholes fills them in a way that the actual potholes don't like need to be refilled a hundred days later. <laughs> Another thing, uh, a $400 million public improvement bond. This is going to basically be a big bucket of money for a lot of different things. Police and fire facilities. You might remember we talked about this a while back, Cop City. So it's money to put that together. Uh, money for parks and playgrounds, 
for bike lanes and bus lanes, uh, for improving lighting, uh, for sidewalks and trails. So it's a big pot of money for a whole bunch of stuff. Another one, uh, he's creating a nightlife division, and this is really targeted at businesses that are experiencing high crimes. So think of like there was a hookah spot downtown that there's been like a lot of random shootings at. And so the idea is to figure out like, what's going on in these businesses and how do we make sure that folks are safe because it's contributing to an uptick in crime. Uh, and then another one, this is one that I personally am a fan of, uh, $4.5 million to expand PAD, uh, which stands for Policing Alternatives and Division, or Diversion, rather. And the idea behind that is to reduce arrests for folks who are experiencing mental health problems, drug addiction, extreme poverty. So an example of that might be a woman gets arrested for, we've seen this a lot during the course of the pandemic, gets arrested for like stealing baby formula or bread or something that's like a pure like life essential, instead of going to jail, they'll figure out how to help her and her family so that she doesn't have to go steal bread. Uh, by the way, uh, Andrew Sender, this is a name some of you might know, he is the commander of the Atlanta Police Department New Precinct in Buckhead, that's Zone 2. He was just named Deputy Chief of Police, so there's some changes happening in APD, and then the current head of their strategy and special projects division, he is being promoted to assistant chief of police. Uh, and to be determined if the mayor keeps Rodney Bryant, who was the chief of police, uh, Mayor Dickens said he was going to give him 100 days to think through, you know, to see if he's a good fit. Um, so we haven't, I don't think the mayor made any announcements on if he was going to keep Rodney Bryant or not. Uh, by the way, Rodney Bryan is, who is the police chief, is pretty well respected in law enforcement circles. All right, now let's switch it up and talk about everyone's favorite bill that they have to pay, the Georgia Power Bill. Uh, so Georgia Power, the big utility company, uh, they just had hearings in front of the Public Service Commission. Now that is the state agency that regulates your utilities. Uh, the members of the PSC are all elected. You'll have the PSC folks on the ballot in the November election. There's actually a primary and a November general, so pay attention to Public Service Commission. So in the hearings, a few things came up uh, as reported by AJC and a few other people. I thought this was really interesting. So 20 years ago, 75% of Georgia Power's electricity came from coal. Now, Georgia Power is saying eight years from today, in 2022, only 3% of their electricity is going to come from coal. And they plan to spend $9 billion, with a B, to close all 29 of their coal ash uh, facilities. And they really want to double down on solar, which this all sounds great in theory, but one of the big questions is what happens to the coal ash ponds? Now you can think of coal ash as kind of like sawdust from when you're cutting wood, right? So that's the, the sawdust is left over and you gotta figure out what to do with it. So toxins from coal ash can poison the water. Uh, they can cause serious health problems like cancer and reproductive issues. Uh, Georgia Power right now has 90 million tons 
of coal ash that they're going to have to figure out what to do with it. So beyond their regulation of Georgia Power, there's a book, big push to get the Public Service Commission to do more to combat the climate crisis and to better protect the environment. Um, so speaking of climate, you know, we usually think of conversations around climate to be like a priority of like the granola eating, Birkenstock wearing white liberals, right? But there's actually a lot of diversity in the space. And it's not something that's always center stage. And I hope it's something that you loyal listener of where the party at pays attention to because there are actually a lot of black led and black created organizations working in the climate change space. So you've got Partnership for Southern Equity, which was founded by Nathaniel Smith in Atlanta. So Black-led, Black-created. Uh, they're actually doing a lot of work to train young Black students around the climate crisis. Uh, and then you have Georgia Conservation Voters, which is Black-led by a cool chick uh, named Briante McClorkle, um, who's young. So she's getting also getting young Black people paying attention to this. And then you even have Evangelicals. Um, which is not something you might anticipate. So you've got folks like the Evangelical Environmental Network, uh, which is also known as Creation Care. Um, so speaking of kind of the environment and coal ash and these types of things, and particularly how they impact Black people, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is starting a new study to test residents of Vine City and English Avenue for lead. So there's been high levels of lead contamination on the west side uh, for a long time now. And the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is testing, is, is asking residents to volunteer to get blood tests done, uh, blood work done to test the amount of lead that uh, is in their households, in their water, in their ecosphere. Why is this a big deal? Because lead contamination is especially harmful for kids. It leads to, well, it's harmful for everyone, but for kids in particular, it leads to lower IQ and cognition. It makes it a lot harder for them to concentrate. You end up having, the kids end up having hearing problems and speech problems, all of that. So I think someone should do a documentary on environmental racism in Atlanta. That would be really fascinating to watch. All right, what else we've got for you? Uh, do you know what the 14th Amendment is about? Uh, it basically says if you are an elected official who supported an effort to overthrow the, uh, the government, that you can be banned from office. Makes sense, right? You shouldn't be allowed to be in office if you're actively trying to overthrow the government. Uh, so a group of Georgians are using the 14th Amendment as a way to get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene, our most infamous congressperson. Uh, but her lawyer is the same guy who just successfully defeated a similar effort to block Madison Cawthorn, Cawthorn in North Carolina. You might remember he's the young uh, Republican guy who's in a wheelchair who made the comment about <laughs> Republicans participating in orgies and doing, basically said like doing lines of coke. Uh, which he said he stands by. <laughs> uh, so we'll find out any day now. Um, like literally, they're they're going to rule any day now on if uh, this lawsuit is going to if the government is going to let this lawsuit go through 
Uh, and if Marjorie Taylor Greene could end up being forced out of uh, re running for re-election. So to be determined on that. Uh, some other big Georgia news. Um, Senator Raphael Warnock said something recently that really pissed off some Democratic immigration groups that played a big role in actually getting him elected. So President Biden decided recently to end something called Title 42. It will go into effect next month. Uh, this is something that the Trump administration implemented in 2020, and it basically bans asylum seekers from entering the country or crossing the border. Uh, and Biden, or Trump rather, was able to do this around COVID. And so he used the CDC as the mechanism to stop uh, asylum seekers from coming in the country. So you might remember like caravans of people that were escaping countries like Honduras, and they were uh, trying to cross the border to get into the United States. Uh, so Biden basically said, hey, we are going to finally end Title 42 uh, because he was getting a lot of pushback from liberal organizations, progressive organizations. And Warnock said, yo, hold on, pump the brakes. Uh, we're not ready for that. And to be fair, he's not the only Democrat, not the only Democratic senator uh, publicly disagreeing with the White House. Who else is doing this? People in his same position, other Democratic senators who have really tough re-elections ahead. So you have folks like Mark Kelly in Arizona and Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. Um, and, you know, like the reality is barring some crazy scandal or some October surprise, Democrats are going to have a really hard time in Georgia in 2022, and it's going to be really hard for Warnock to win re-election. You got a president with really low approval ratings. You've got little confidence in Vice President Kamala Harris. You've got inflation at an all-time high. You've got um, youth voters who feel particularly ignored by the White House on things like student loan debt. You've got a lot of moving parts and things happening, right? Now, all signs point to Herschel Walker being Warnock's Republican opponent, right? So Warnock is having to walk this extraordinarily fine line. Now, the question is, will those same Hispanic and Asian groups that rocked with him in 2020 and 2021 see the bigger picture of why he's saying to the president, hold on, I disagree with you getting rid of Title 42. Right now, I understand why they are fighting for this because it's a human rights and a, and a safety issue. You've got migrants who are at risk of being preyed upon by gangs and cartels. Um, and so I suspect that Warnock and his team are asking folks to look beyond this issue and to look into the bigger picture, right? So we've talked about this a lot, including I think last week, or particularly when the Kentaji Brown-Jackson hearings were going on. Democrats have 50 of 100 Senate seats. They've got two senators, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, who don't always vote the party line. So they can't afford to lose a single seat in the Senate, not one. If they lose... Mitch McConnell will become the Senate majority majority leader, and he is going to shut it down. And I'm going to talk about Mitch McConnell a little bit later in the pod, so tune, keeps tuning in for that one. 
So the question is, you know, what does Warnock do, right? So the legislative session is over. You got a full-blown campaign mode going on. Uh, last week, Republicans held their first debate in the primary election to take on Warnock. Herschel Walker, no surprise, declined to participate. He said that, you know, he had um, other, another obligation, but then when they actually checked the schedule, he technically had enough time to get back from D.C. He was an accepting, he was an accepting an award. So he technically had more time, enough time to get back from D.C. to debate, but you know, he said, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> and his opponents came after him hard. In fact, they use Democratic talking points uh, in coming after him. But Herschel is so far ahead in the polls that it may not matter. Uh, but I think the question is, will voters disagree with his approach, right? Like, if I were a Republican opponent, I would kind of liken this to unsportsmanlike, unsportsmanlike conduct. Right. Yes, you can do it, but should you do it? And if you do it too much, then people start to think like, okay, that's who you are, and they don't like that. Right. So that's we'll see if if that's something that they use. Um, by the way, Mitch McConnell was asked about Herschel Walker in an interview with Axios, and take a listen to what he said. Um. Let's talk about a candidate you have talked about, um, Herschel Walker, the leading GOP candidate in the vital Senate race in Georgia. You endorsed him, yet his ex-wife says he pointed a pistol at her head and said, I'm going to blow your effing brains out. And an ex-girlfriend has accused him of threatening her life. Why is he a suitable candidate? Herschel Walker has addressed that issue repeatedly over the last 10 years. Uh, I think he's... It's a heck of an issue. Well, he had... Uh, he admitted he had had some troubles in his life. Uh, he's been an exemplary citizen in recent years. Uh, he's a hero in Georgia. Uh, almost every candidate's had troubled uh, periods. I mean, I don't know that almost every candidate has pointed... Look, I, I don't want to argue with it. I think Walker is completely electable. He's actually ahead at the beginning of this race and we're fully behind him. How did you, absorbing those very troubling allegations, talk me through your process for coming to the conclusion that you could put your name, Mitch McConnell... Yeah, well, I did that, and I've endorsed him. And, and how? How? Yeah, because one of your top operatives on the outside, Josh Holmes, when the first story came out with all this, he said, oh, I've never seen... This is terrible. How did you go from... I mean, I assume you had a similar... Maybe you didn't. Maybe you thought it was fine, but I doubt you did. How did you come from that to supporting him? The way I always do, a variety of different considerations. Every candidate has flaws and assets. This candidate has a lot of assets and is very competitive and has a great chance of winning. <laughs> so if I were Gary Black or Latham Sadler or Kelvin King or one of these other Republicans running in that primary... I'd be really pissed off uh, after seeing that Herschel is declining these debates and listening to Leader McConnell's comments there. Next, our, our neighbors next door uh, in Florida said something kind of crazy. Uh, Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida, said this about Stacey Abrams. And I kind of hope he was joking, but you just never know. 
uh, and I'm going to quote here. If Stacey Abrams is elected governor of Georgia, I want to be honest that it will be a cold war between Florida and Georgia. I can't have former, I can't have uh, Castro, and he's talking about former Cuban communist leader Raul Castro, to my south and Abrams to my north. That would be a disaster. So I hope you guys take care of that and we'll end up in good shape. He compared Stacey Abrams to the communist leader of Cuba. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. So maybe it was a joke. Maybe it's just something that he's saying to kind of rile up the Republican base. I don't know. But uh, one thing we can count on, if Stacey actually does beat Brian Kemp, which who knows if that will happen, but it might. Uh, if she does, she is going to be the most attacked and vilified elected official in this country. Yes, even more than Biden, even more than Nancy Pelosi, likely even more than AOC. Mark my words on that one. So I said that I was going to talk about Mitch McConnell, and here we go. I, I think he is like, you all hear me talk about a Bannon and how fascinated I am by Bannon. Another person who really fascinates me is Mitch McConnell. So that previous clip I, I uh, played for you is an interview that he did with Axios reporter Jonathan Swan, who's a masterful interviewer. Uh, and we're actually going to put in the show notes the full interview so you can take a listen. It's about 35 minutes or so, and it's just really fascinating. Uh, he There was a few things that happened in this interview. Uh, he refused to say... If he would repeat what he did in 2016 against Barack Obama, who was president at the time, um, in Obama's um, putting forth of Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. So if Republicans win control of the Senate and another Supreme Court seat opens up next year, McConnell said he would not commit, he wouldn't answer uh, if he was going to allow hearings on the nominee that President Biden would put forth. If history serves as any indication of the future, I think I could probably bet that he would not indeed put forth that nominee. Another thing uh, that he did, which is actually to the chagrin of a lot of Republicans, folks like um, Rick Scott in Florida, he said he is not laying out a detailed legislative agenda before the midterms. And the way to win the midterms, he said, is to attack Democrats and to attack Biden, not to put out a here's what we're going to do when we get in office. Dang. Just brilliant but also like what the fudge man really <laughs> so again take a listen to mitch mcconnell you are known for playing a ruthless style of politics where do you draw your moral red lines <laughs> I, I didn't realize i was known for playing a ruthless <laughs> i thought my, my wife thinks i'm a really nice guy <laughs> my kids like me um, well, let me I'm give you, very comfortable with my moral red line. Let me give you one specific. Help me understand this. I watched your speech last year in February on the Senate floor after the second impeachment vote on Donald mm -hmm. Trump, and it was an extraordinary speech. Mm -hmm. You spoke very powerfully against the most powerful figure in your party, the, the president, um, and you said Donald Trump's actions preceding the January 6th insurrection were a, quote, disgraceful dereliction of duty, and that he was 
practically and morally responsible, morally responsible, your words, for provoking the events of that day. How do you go from saying that to two weeks later saying you'd absolutely support Donald Trump if he's the Republican nominee in 2024? Well, as a Republican leader of the Senate, it should not be a front page headline that I will support the Republican nominee for president. After you've said that about him, I think it's astonishing. I, I think I have an obligation to support the, the nominee of my, of my party. And um, Is there anything I, they could do? I will. That will mean that whoever the nominee is has gone out and earned the nomination. Okay, but Donald Trump earned it last time. And I'm just trying to understand, you know, what you say matters. You're, you're a very important voice in this country. You're the leader of your party. And you seem to hold two concurrent, conflicted no, positions, which is... Not at all inconsistent. Finish, I, not at all inconsistent. I stand by everything I said I, on I understand, but January 6th and everything I said on February the 13th. I understand that, but, but what I want to understand, which I haven't heard you address, is... Because I don't get to pick the Republican nominee for president. They're elected by the Republican voters I, all over the country. I fully understand that, but take Liz Cheney, for example. You she, want to spend some more time on this as well? I, I actually do, because I, I, I actually... <laughs> no, no, I genuinely want to understand this. I really want to understand how you think about yeah. this, because Liz Cheney, who has the same view of you as of January 6th, yeah. she said she doesn't want Donald Trump anywhere near the White House, and she's going to work to not make that happen, because she thinks that there are some things more important than party loyalty. Yeah. Oh, well, you, maybe you ought to be talking to Liz Cheney. No, but I'm not trying to... I, I really, it's not a gotcha. I'm just actually trying to understand, like, is there any threshold for you of, of what some well, of the... Well, you know, levels? I say many things I'm sure people don't understand. <laughs> well, you really do have to go watch that full interview. It's, it's really fascinating. There's a lot that he did not say, right? And it's, you know, one of the things... Um, in interviewing and in journalism that you're taught is what's not said is almost just as powerful as what is said. Uh, and you can see that <laughs> plain as day in that interview. Let's go into party starters and party poopers. Now, this week's party starter might confuse you a little bit. Let's get it started. Me. In What's rule number one? Party. Um, I'm giving it to a guy named Christopher Rufo. Who is he? So I think there are a handful of people who have completely transformed the Republican Party from the outside in, as we know it today. Donald Trump, uh, Steve Bannon, uh, Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox News, and Christopher Rufo. He is the brains behind a word or phrase that we have heard nonstop for about a year and a half now called critical race theory. Uh, he is the brains behind making that a partisan issue. Uh, and again, we're seeing the conversations of critical race theory take place across the entire country, including right here in Georgia. And it will certainly be a topic for conversation during the primaries and, of course, in the general. So last week, Rufo gave a lecture at Hillsdale College, and he kind of talked about 
next steps. And the central conservative issue with critical race theory is that they don't want it taught in public K through 12 education systems, right? Particularly not in elementary and middle. The idea is, hey, this started in college, keep it at college. Um, and Rufo calls this funding political activism with public dollars. So now he's saying that, look, if these folks can get critical race theory and if they're, that's what they're going to teach, then Rufo wants governors of conservative states to create an independent board of directors and set up conservative centers within public universities. So imagine University of Georgia, UGA, right? Imagine Georgia State University, where the governor would appoint an independent board of directors to set up effectively a conservative think tank in these institutions. Uh, so he titled his speech, Laying Siege to the Institutions. Uh, and he spent a significant amount of time going after Disney. Remember, Disney just publicly opposed uh, Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill. Um, and that's not even the juiciest part of this. You know, a number of public education advocates say the real issue at hand here is this is a quiet fight for universal school choice, which has long been on the Republican agenda. So if you're not familiar with school choice, the idea here is basically that uh, using public education dollars to fund a child's education, even if it's not in the traditional public school, right? So even if it's not the public school that's in your neighborhood, maybe instead those public dollars are used for uh, a voucher to go to a charter school, uh, to even be homeschooled, or even to go to a private school that may or may not be a religious school. So there's a lot of pushback on this because if this happens, if universal school choice happens, it will completely decimate the public school system as we know it today. Because then you've got how many parents, I don't know, are saying, oh, okay, instead of putting my kid in Maynard Jackson High, I'm going to go put them in, you know, name other school if the, if the state is going to help me pay for the other school, right? So particularly if you're a parent who can't afford to put your kid in private school, if the state is saying, oh, here's a voucher to go put your kid in Woodward or X number, you know, name the private school, then that parent's probably going to go do that. So the entire critical race theory debate that's happening in K through 12 is really about sowing seeds of mistrust in the school system, school system, right? And so ultimately, if you have parents who are saying, well, I don't, my, the teacher isn't telling me what my kid is taught in school, which I don't know why in the world a teacher would do that. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and if the parent feels like the school district is not looking out for them, then, then yes, that parent is going to push for a voucher to send their kid somewhere else. So here's what Rufo said. And as a quote, to get universal school choice, you need to operate from a premise of universal public school distrust. That is smart as I'll get out, but it's also incredibly destructive. Uh, and he was asked, by the way, you know, was he concerned at all about polarization and things of that sort and kind of this clear bifurcation between left and right? And 
basically he said no, because to win, you need polarization. So take a listen uh, to a speech that he gave last year at the National Conservatism Conference. A lot of you in this audience, a lot of you in this crowd, a lot of you in, in, in media and journalism uh, are starting to understand that the fight of today is no longer along the axis of economics, but primarily along the multiple axes of culture, race, gender, identity, etc. And my small point that I'd like to make and substantiate today and then provide some, some suggestions on is that our critique must take this cultural revolution seriously. Uh, literally in some ways. Uh, it's not a kind of revolution, Marcuse even wrote, um, that the old way of revolution, the working class revolution, seizing control of government buildings and you know, TV antennas uh, was, was unworkable in the conditions of modern capitalism. Uh, but through a process of subversion, through a process of steadily deteriorating the culture, uh, you could essentially get a, get a country or a culture to submit over time. Really fascinating language there. Um, submission, uh, distrust. Um, those are all really interesting words when you're thinking and talking about government and politics and who's right and who's wrong. So if you thought CRT, the CRT debate during the legislative session and what we'll see, you know, on the campaign trail for 2022 was a lot. As they say, buckle up, buttercup, because we haven't seen anything yet. The next two years of this are going to be absolutely fascinating. And if you thought there was a culture war today, just wait. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> the party is over. Close the gates. What? All right. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. All right, I've got, can I have two party poopers? I have two party poopers, if that's all right. Um, yeah. One is kind of, oh, I don't know which one I want to do. For, first one I'll do is sort of completely, it's not at all related to this, uh, but it's the geniuses who keep putting guns in their carry-on bags and getting caught by TSA and screwing up the wait times at airports because they accidentally forgot their gun and put in the doggone carry-on, and everyone's freaking out at airports because of it. Please, people, do not attempt to bring your gun on the doggone plane. You gotta check the luggage, okay? Atlanta is the number one airport for folks trying to bring guns on the planes. The only thing you can bring on the plane is a snake. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, it's enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! So, by the way, you can be fined up to $13,900 for bringing a, a gun uh, in your carry-on. So, maybe we should start finding the crap out of people and they'll stop doing this. Just a bit of a rant, because Atlanta, again, is where this is happening. Let's get it together, people. All right, so speaking of getting it together, my other party pooper is the folks behind the Black Lives Matter movement who used, and I feel like doggone Tucker Carlson saying this, but geez, Damn. I mean, he was right, though. A broken clock can be right at least twice, right? So these 
folks use millions of dollars for their own use and own credit. So why are you the BLM head buying a $6 million house and then trying to get your facts straight about what the house is for? And not buying, not buying a $6 million house with your own money. If you want to do that, gravy, go do it. But don't do that with money that individuals and corporations and foundations gave to the Black Lives Matter movement. No, that is not what we do. Come on. So, you know, they said, first they said the house was supposed to be like a safe haven for black people who were being like harassed. And then they said, oh, no, it's actually like a creative culture house, like what you see like TikTok, um, like mega TikTok stars use, right, where they all kind of work out of a house. So you can't be both uh, a culture house and a safe house. Like those two don't match. Um, so I just, you know, think with everything that has gone on in the whole Black Lives Matter conversation, there's two separate things, right? There's the conversation about Black Lives and then there's BLM, the formal movement of these folks who, again, I think saw the money and got greedy, I guess, or just, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Yeah, got greedy and didn't trickle it down to the local chapters because that's really what the issue was. It right. was they had control, but every state, damn near every city has a chapter of BLM that didn't see any of it, you know, so. Damn. Yeah, that's... They ought to be, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And then I need like the black elders in this type of movement, like the Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharptons or whoever to have a sit down moment with them. Okay. Maybe not those they, two. They, they, they did the same <laughs> thing. They did the so same thing. Dang. <laughs> Dang. All right. Well, sheesh. I don't know. I don't know who can talk to them. Somebody needs to talk to them, but like, listen. What you're not going to do. The feds. They the go feds. Ahead, go ahead and talk to them. <laughs> the feds. Womp, <laughs> womp. That's bad. But anyway, both of those are my party poopers. Leave your guns at home when you're flying. Maybe don't give to Black Lives Matter movement. You got local organizations in your communities where that money will go a lot further. All right, that's it. That's the show. There was like three other things I wanted to talk about, but I didn't want this to be a three-hour episode. Y'all have a great week. Stay tuned and see what's happening around you. Hug up on someone. There's a lot of stress and a lot of hate going on in this world. Show some love. Have a good one. <laughs>